This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, welcome back. How's it going? Thank you. It's going pretty well. Uh, feeling nice and rested after my nice long Texas trip. I spent about um, just under two weeks in Texas. Thought I would be there warming up, but you actually had some nice cold weather. So <laughs> yes, I, we did. <laughs> uh, came back to New York for some warm weather. Yeah, it only lasted for a couple of days down here in Texas, but it did get down to like uh, 15 degrees here in Dallas or so once or twice. So uh, we had our, our moments, but it's definitely not comparable to what you get in New York almost every day during this time of year. I don't know. It's been 50 or 60, so I don't know oh, what's that's going about, on. But... That's about on par with us right now. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has been a long time, it feels like, since we last recorded. It's been more than two weeks at this point, and so uh, I'm glad to be back in the recording seat with you. And I just wanted to mention, uh, in our sort of temporary break, leave of absence, whatever you want to call it, even though the audience hasn't felt it. Uh, I watched a new TV show and it, it's The Good Place, which was created by Michael Schur, who's one of the producers and writers and our very own Mose Schrute in The Office. So uh, I binged all of the first season, all 13 episodes in a single night. And then over the next couple of days, I caught up on season two. And now I have to wait on new episodes like a normal person. So I just wanted to uh, mention that and recommend it to everybody out there who is a fan of The Office because it's in the same vein of humor, um, very good natured for the most part. And uh, there are even one or two recycled jokes from The Office that I really appreciated. Uh, just like, hey, obviously it's Michael Scherer because he, he used that same joke in season four or whatever <laughs> it might have been. Uh, but yeah, I would definitely recommend The Good Place. It's Kristen Bell. It's Ted Danson. I'm not going to give any sort of plot summary for those who want to remain spoiler free. and. Uh, it's really easy to get spoiled with this particular show if you don't just watch it without looking into it. So uh, that's my recommendation before we get into anything else. I could definitely recommend it as well. Um, I believe I've also watched all of what's available to us, and uh, it has a lot of similarities to The Office. It's also a really different style of um, style of show, I guess. Uh, it's not a mockumentary like The Office is, but uh, a lot of the same types of humor. So I definitely enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, if, if you guys watch it, let us know what you think. Now, uh, as for other things, before we get into our episode discussions, we did get a new review this week from Eddie Payne. Thank you, Eddie, for the very kind words and for reaching out to us on Facebook, I believe, as well. And that being said, we've had a lot of new listeners in the last week. It's been really cool to see uh, lots of new faces pop up in the Facebook and in uh, Twitter and wherever else. Yeah, it was something like we were in the 60s for new likes on our Facebook page in the last, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, three days to a week. Um, yeah, something like that. So, yeah. Hello to everyone new. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. Yeah, we've had 500 plus downloads in just the last three days as well. So uh, if you're liking the show, we really hope you are. Make sure to reach out. Whether that means a review or not, that's up to you. Uh, but just email us, comment on Facebook, on Twitter. Let us know that you're liking it, hopefully. Uh, interact. That's what we wanted this show to be from the beginning was 
us talking about the show, but you, the audience, also talking about the show with us. And we've got our friend Leslie Martin, who does a recap and sort of rebuttal uh, with his own opinions on the show. Um, every episode we do, which is great, and we're reading those every single week. But uh, Leslie's pretty much the only one. So everybody reach out. Let us know uh, what you like about what we're doing and uh, any ideas you might have. So on for our episode discussion for today, our first one is Women's Appreciation. It aired on May 3rd of 2007, was directed by Tucker Gates, and written by staples of the show Gene Stepnitsky and Lee Eisenberg. Phyllis was flashed by a man in the Dunder Mifflin parking lot, so Dwight takes it upon himself to make things right and appoints himself the sole member of the anti-flashing task force and spends the day looking for the man. Michael, in response to the flashing, decides to hold Women's Appreciation Day for the women of Dunder Mifflin and insists that he take the women somewhere they feel comfortable. Them all, of course. What starts with small talk turns into Michael discussing his extremely unhealthy relationship with Jan, and with the women's help, Michael decides to break up with her. Yeah, so we start off this one with uh, sexual assault, which uh, it only seems fitting following the weekend where we had the women's marches um yeah it's 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 tough for phyllis um it's a weird coincidence that it did line up with this week because she's walked in she's emotionally scarred and uh what happened she was flashed in the parking lot and that doesn't sound like a, a major thing but when you're forcing sexual content onto somebody else without their permission or their desire, then it is sexual assault. So uh, Phyllis is not off to a good start, but she has the support of almost everybody in the office, except for (laughs) Michael, who you would think would be on her side, but uh, he really only has ignorant things to say the entire episode. Uh, I I used the phrase in my notes, capital the worst, (laughs) because that's what I use for Michael when he has these kinds of episodes. It's not a good Michael episode. He has about five or ten seconds of concern. He asks if she's okay. And then as they say in the commentary, which we'll get to in a bit, but he, uh, as soon as he gets the care for her out of the way, it's just immediately 20 bad jokes in his head about (laughs) this flashing. So, um, yeah, he can't hold in his jokes for very long. I was actually pretty angry at him when watching today because of the way he talked about Phyllis. You know, she had stepped out by the time he walked in to walk it out with Bob uh, Vance of Vance Refrigeration. Um, (laughs) And he he implied that she wasn't attractive enough to be sexually assaulted. And he says, did did the flasher even see Pam or Karen from behind? Which is even worse. That's rude to Karen as well, because it's implying that she's only attractive enough from the back to be sexually assaulted. And then... Toby walks in and he's doing the whole mock flasher with his finger through his pants fly. And uh, when he sees Toby, he droops his finger. Um, I'll let you figure that out for yourself. Um, And that's a further insult to Toby. And so, like I said, here's Michael again being the worst. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really surprised, I guess, that the office got away with um, all the gestures and I wanted to do a count, but I didn't have the time, of the number of times they say penis in this episode. It's truly <laughs> astounding. It's so much. And they, they talk about that um, as well in the commentary, just how much 
they got away with it this episode. Um, and yeah, it's a comedy. They still have to make it light. Um, but there's some pretty real themes here, especially this year. <laughs> well, you know, officequotes.net is not always the most reliable as far as uh, being exact goes. But a quick search on this episode on office quotes made the the word penis pop up six times, which is six times more <laughs> than most other shows <laughs> say the word penis. So, yeah, it, it's definitely high up there in that count. Um, Michael goes on to have the uh, women's appreciation conference room meeting and continues to be just incredibly sexist. He says stuff like movies portray women as skinny, tall goddesses. Women don't look like that in real life though. Even the hot ones gesturing towards Pam. Uh, we learn that he asks the women when they get angry, if they're on their periods so that he quote knows if they're being serious or not. Uh, that, no, <laughs> I don't have any other words to say, Michael. That it's not even remotely appropriate to ask, and your whole idea behind what that is is just completely non-factual. I want to add stuff here, but I'm just yeah, <laughs> no, it's it's all serious. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> But it's okay um, because he acknowledges that the work environment is masculine because obviously work is for men. So they're going to be more comfortable at the mall. So that's what he does is he takes them to the mall. Yeah. So one, it, 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 he sees it as a nice gesture. Uh, in fact, in the conference room, Karen calls him misogynistic and he says, oh, thank you. I, I, I'm glad you noticed. Uh, he doesn't understand that that's the that, same thing. Thank you. <laughs> right. It's the same thing as sexist. And uh, Michael... Taking them to the mall is just another check off the list. And in fact, n none of the women are actually very excited to go to the mall, except for Kelly, who, of course, wants to go to the mall. But um, <laughs> Karen said, yeah, I mean, OK, I have a few things I need to return. So sure, let's go. Um, and then, of course, when they're at the mall, he insists on taking them all shopping uh, and treating them to an item of clothing where else but Victoria's Secret. So just layer upon layer upon layer of inappropriateness, really. Um, I can't imagine, first of all, going on a work trip to the mall, and second of all, making my boss, or having my boss make me buy something from Victoria's Secret. Like, ugh, just skeevy <laughs> all over. Uh, again, in the commentary, uh, they, they made a joke about how when Toby walked in, he, he has this sort of sigh of a look. Like he's imagining all the paperwork he's already going to have to get started on, and it's only <laughs> nine in the morning, ten in the morning. Um, when when Toby walks in, Michael says, "Hey, where were you after all of this? Prove it, prove it. Let's let's see your penis." And he pauses. Everybody stares at him. He says, "You know, as that was leaving my mouth, I knew that it was wrong." And that's really the problem with Michael is that he waits until it's leaving his mouth to think about things. Um, Good that he recognizes that it was wrong, but there were many other opportunities in this episode for him to realize before he said something that he probably shouldn't say it because most of the time it was wrong. He's probably the TV character, or maybe even any character, um, who I know has the least of a filter. I mean, he doesn't think about things before they come out of his mouth at all. He does have 
some personal issues in this episode that we learn. He reveals that uh, him and Jan have a safe word for sex. This is after he's realized, you know, as a boss, I need to make my employees feel safe. And so he says, you know, when when Jan and I have sex, we have a safe word. And it's the word foliage for some reason. Actually, that's touched on in the commentary, but we'll save that for then. Um, But what that says to me is that they're doing some pretty risque things. Because for normal, sexy kind of stuff, I don't think you need... A safe word. <laughs> um, so Michael is not very comfortable with this situation he's in with Jan. Uh, he's having to do role play. Um, he says that according to her, something in bed is not worth doing if it doesn't scare them. Puts him in a dress for role play, he says. She videotapes him having sex and then watches the video with her therapist. She is all kinds of messed up, we're finding out. We, we've seen some... Uh, stress-induced reactions in Jan before. We'd seen her start smoking back in, like, casino night. We'd seen her uh, completely ignore people and give answers to questions out of thin air. Uh, But this is the first time we're sort of getting real deep into her um, and realizing that she's just, like, very into risque sex, apparently. We're seeing the decline of Jan right now. I think in the last... yeah half of the season, really, she has just, I mean, her character has taken a 180. And um, I think the most disturbing thing, really, for me, is that at the beginning of the episode, Jan and Michael are on the phone. And Jan asks him to come over that night. Michael declines. He says he spends, he says he spends so much time uh, driving and so much money on gas, presumably going to her place. It doesn't sound like she goes to his. So Jan offers him $200 to come over and then ups it to $300, therefore making Michael a prostitute if he accepts. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, and then all the time, her assistant, Hunter, was on the line listening in. Just oh. how incredibly... And there's There's not even really a word for that. It's just so inappropriate. Yeah, Michael calls it like it is. He says, that makes me uncomfortable, um, and he doesn't go in with it. And Jan does show up later to apologize, uh, but by that point, he had talked to his girls, <laughs> as he called them. Um, he's taken them to the mall, he's eaten lunch with them, and basically shared this terrible situation that he's in with his uh, girlfriend, Jan. And they all are almost unanimous in saying, you need to get yourself out of this. Now, one interesting descent is from Karen, and uh, we can use this to talk about Karen and Pam both just a little bit because um, everybody at lunch at the mall is interested in helping Michael out for one reason or another. They all give him advice, and they both sort of give both, as in Pam and Karen, sort of give advice that sort of meet their own desires. Um, you know, Karen says, Sometimes there are rough patches you just have to push through, and Pam says, well, it sounds to me like you're just wrong for each other. And that's really mirroring their own relationships where Pam and Roy obviously didn't belong together. They tried twice, maybe even more times. And finally, they're separated because it didn't work out. And Karen, I think, has this innate fear that her and Jim just aren't a good match. They've been struggling through these last few weeks, months, however long it's been since she found out that he had a crush on Pam of some sort um, or kissed Pam, actually. Uh, and so when Pam says, 
you know, maybe they're just wrong for each other. Karen gives her this furtive glance across the table say, uh, that almost says, are you really saying about that about Jim and me? Do you really think that we're not meant for each other? Or do you really think that this is short-lived? Uh, it, it's just a really telling glance between those two characters. Yeah, I, I think I saw it more from Pam's point of view as a comment on Jim and Karen's relationship rather than of hers and Roy's. Um, I hadn't thought about it that way, but that's a good point. Um, I, I, I really did see the whole thing in regards to Karen and Jim. Right. I did too, but it was just interesting that both of these characters had been in relationships at different points in this season and one was still going, not, not going strong necessarily. They, they'd been through their rough patches uh, as Karen mentioned, but boy and boy, <laughs> Roy and Pam uh, obviously did not last. And so I think they were both speaking from their own experience and what they were wanting from their relationships they were in, and then projecting that onto Michael's situation. And then all episode, we get these glances just from... Uh... Pam looking over and seeing, for instance, Karen buying lingerie at Victoria's Secret. She's asking Phyllis's advice. And of course, it's for Jim, and Pam knows that, and she has to watch, you know, Karen buying lingerie for Jim, and it's just eating away at her. Yeah, it's it's still very obvious that Pam has feelings for Jim, and she's trying to not interfere, I think, with... Uh, him and Karen. I think she is trying to sort of take the high road as it were and let them run their course, whether that means they end up married eventually or whether they break up later, whenever Um, she's letting them figure that out themselves rather than stepping into the middle, sort of like what Jim did. (laughs) But uh, anyways, all of that leads to Michael breaking up with her at the breaking up with Jim breaking up with Jan at the end of the episode, encouraged by the women of the office. And he does it over voicemail because he has no tact because he's Michael Scott. Uh, But hopefully this means that even though Jan is hurt in this moment, she uh, shows up, listens to the voicemail in front of Michael in his office without a word leaves. But hopefully this means that Michael is going to be happier moving forward. Even though this relationship with Jan was something he's been sort of fighting for for a long time. So it's interesting that this did take the turn that it did. And Michael was wanting out of that relationship. He was trying so hard to make a thing when it wasn't a thing. Yeah. I think Jan was just so, I don't know, um, pent up and so angry. And then when she finally let herself date somebody who was horrible for her. And I mean, she was attracted to Michael, um, even though she knew she kind of hated him, (laughs) um, that when she finally let herself just go for it, she really, really went for it and went way too far. And um, yeah, she really went off the deep end. Then we have characters like Dwight, who after Phyllis has shown up and has told the story of this flasher, this uh, whatever you want to call him, he's a flasher. Um, he becomes sort of over vigilant in trying to catch this guy to the point that he also starts insulting the women by limiting what they quote can and can't do or wear. Uh, 
he describes an appropriate way to dress, which ultimately is him describing Angela's wardrobe. And you get this brief camera pan over to uh, Angela when Pam says, who dresses like this? Well, that's who. Dwight's love interest. (laughs) Uh, The shining example. Um, He even removes bananas from the kitchen, sort of insinuating that the women in the office are so delicate and sensitive that something even vaguely phallic would upset them. And then I I just don't even want to analyze what it means that shortly after he announces that he's removing the bananas from the kitchen, that he is snacking on them at his desk. I I don't even want to dive into that. (laughs) Not even a little bit. But yeah, this, this mandate on the women in the office, they cannot wear makeup, heels that exceed a quarter inch. They may not speak to strangers unless given permission by Dwight. I mean, it's just archaic stuff. Um, And also, why does he think this is his responsibility to do this? I don't know. But, um, well, I do. It's safety officer Dwight, you know, it's volunteer deputy Dwight, but it's not his place. And uh, it's really archaic stuff. So, no. (laughs) Yeah, and he does inappropriate stuff like compile a, a folder of pictures of penises to show to Michael and to show to Phyllis and even slips in a picture of his own, I guess, to show off, which is the strangest thing that I would not even ever think of as a guy to another guy. But I'm also not Dwight Schrute, so... uh, (laughs) No, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But he then starts to hang up these signs that Pam geniusly uh, drew a portrait of and... To everybody except Dwight, it is very obvious that she drew a picture of Dwight, sans glasses and with like a a porn stash, if you want to call it that. Whatever you, uh, uh, it's <laughs> like the really you really skinny pencil mustache, yeah. Right, and I'm being stereotypical. I'm not at all trying to be insulting <laughs> to somebody who has a mustache like that. Uh, I apologize, <laughs> but uh, he teams up with Andy <laughs> to hang up the posters everywhere. And uh, it's funny because Andy also completely realizes that this is a picture of Dwight. And he says, oh, this guy guy looks like a real deviant. (laughs) Dwight says, well, yeah, of course. Uh, (laughs) But even though Dwight throughout this team up is still being a complete jerk to Andy, uh, not really speaking complete sentences to him, being very dismissive of him, stealing his candy bar when he offers to go have Z's. he says at the end of the day that he, Dwight, may have underst- underestimated Andy and that he's not a total ass like he thought. And Andy has this sort of nice moment like, uh, oh, that's nice. I, I'm, I'm glad I've made a friend. That's how I interpret it, at least. It, it's just a, a quaint little smile. It, there's no deviousness, ulterior motive that I notice in that smile. Uh, I think it's just Andy we, we, or Drew, if we want to refer to him as such. Uh, trying to turn a new leaf and make amends and he is genuinely excited that Dwight is starting to warm up to him and so I I like that moment yeah it's one of the first few moments that we've gotten from them that wasn't just blatant hatred um that they finally kind of came together on something and uh Andy was there to help him out all day even if Andy really knew it was up with the picture and Dwight didn't but Andy was still there to help all day so yeah, maybe some budding friendship. Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. Um, any other characters to talk about? 
maybe just worth mentioning that um, as they were all sitting in the women's restroom, the men of Dunder Mifflin, uh, <laughs> because they can, um, Ryan let, let me rephrase, um, Ryan addressed Jim. Uh, he did not know that Jim and Karen were still together. He said, oh, really? I thought you guys were kind of just a fling, a hookup. And Jim said, no, we uh, are celebrating our six-month anniversary. We're definitely dating. And Ryan says that he sent an email to Karen a while back asking her out <laughs> um, and just made it as awkward as possible. Um, and then kind of did the sour grapes thing. Oh, just kidding. I don't want to be in an office relationship anyway. That sounds horrible. So he sort of uh, put his foot in his mouth on that one, I guess. Yeah. And ignoring the fact that he is in an office relationship, whether he likes it or not, he and <laughs> yeah. Kelly are still together. <laughs> she um, definitely thinks so, even if he doesn't. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I just wanted to mention a couple more small Pam moments. Uh, she, early in the episode, sort of facetious facetiously wishes that someone would have flashed her while she was still with Roy because it would have been quite a beating, especially if it was Jim, she says. And he's, she says, he would not have wanted me to see Jim's, uh, oh, I am saying a lot of things. <laughs> She's, <laughs> it's, it's a strange thing when you get on the subject of a friend's penis, I've got to say. Uh, <laughs> and that, that's the situation Pam finds herself in. So <laughs> I, I'm sympathetic in that I would never want to accidentally find myself talking about a friend's penis. <laughs> <laughs> and I know we're jumping ahead to the commentary a lot here, but um, Jenna Fisher was in this commentary, and I forget which of the other ladies, there were a couple of women in this one, um, said that they really liked that talking head. They thought it was really cute and funny. And Jenna said, really? I hated it. It was so awkward because, of course, um, Pam talking about Jim really meant Jenna talking about her friend John. Right. And that made her actually very uncomfortable. And so she was just weirded out by the whole thing. But Pam does have one more nice moment uh, where she takes charge, as she's been wanting to do this season. And she changes the flat tire, which uh, it, it's funny that Michael is so derogatory towards the women in this episode, perhaps unintentionally, because Michael is Michael. But uh, when it comes to the time to be the man, quote unquote, uh, Pam is the one who steps up and changes the tire because Michael is completely clueless. Uh, so while Michael's off being misogynistic, Pam is stepping up and fulfilling the role that he is supposed to do. Um, did giant air quotes around my microphone. <laughs> yeah, he calls it a, uh, a Crescent Allen, I believe. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, he takes the, the, the jack. The jack. <laughs> <And he's> <laughs> he takes the jack to try to undo the, the nuts. I'm blanking on my terms because... I'm being a stereotypical woman and don't know the car parts, but yes, <laughs> the uh, the nuts for the wheel, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's uh, yeah, he's using the car jack to try to take the tire off, which is, um, even I could tell you that's very wrong. Yeah, they clearly don't even fit together, um, and it's so unwieldy. I don't even know how Michael would have accidentally gotten that wrong, but here we are, talking about it on a podcast, so... <laughs> any other characters before we move on to funny stuff oh let's move on okay uh how about you start us off so our cold open for this episode um i never really loved it as much as i did until 
like today watching it over again i really like it um <laughs> dwight gives jim a demerit because he came in late and jim is quote second in command and he should know better than being late so um Dwight goes on to provide this whole list of steps in the disciplinary chain, ending with a written review by Dwight placed on the desk of his immediate superior, which would be Jim. Um, <laughs> so Jim, of course, you know, please, yes, give that to me. I would love to. I would love to read my own review. And I did the math, and um, I tried to see how many uh, citations, as it were, Jim would need to commit. Um, to get even just the written warning. Mm -hmm. And it's not perfect math because Dwight says all numbers until one of them, he says, keep it up and you'll get a written warning. But even if that's just a second time, Jim would have to mess up 240 times to get it one written warning. (laughs) Yeah, I did the math too. I I made a different assumption, uh, but it's, it's the same principle. I said that if you assume you get three verbal warnings equals one written warning, uh, then that would be 360 demerit. So somewhere between, (laughs) what did you say, 240 and 360? Uh, In any case, that is the majority of the work year, the work calendar, like especially 360. You don't even work 360 days a year (laughs) because you've got weekends and all that nonsense uh, and 240 even then you'd almost be able to walk into work late every single day without ever facing the possibility of a disciplinary review so uh, and it's just a written warning ending up back on his own desk (laughs) (laughs) Uh, or or what's the word jim says you'll you'll get a a full disagulation disagulation yeah yeah which is not a word (laughs) because we do our research Um, But, but but it does scare dwight yeah, he says, oh, you don't want to know what it is. <laughs> um, I always love when Michael tries to quote things and it's so wrong or awkward or out of context. Uh, in this one, I'm referring to when he quotes Aretha Franklin's respect, um, because I'm assuming he lacks creativity and it's the only thing he can think of when he hears the word respect is the song called Respect. Uh, not a lot of lines have to be drawn between those two but then he can't spell respect apparently he says r-e-s-p-e-c-t find out what it means to me (laughs) and it's so strange it reminds me of i don't remember what episode it was in particular but it was probably sometime season two when he says celebrate good times come on (laughs) where he's quoting cool in the gang but it's so out of context and it's just strange that he would quote it in that situation at all uh and so he did that with Aretha Franklin this time around. Going back to all the men in the ladies' room, Kevin decides um, while the women are out that all the men should hang out in the women's restroom because it's, quote, the fantasy. Jim reminds him that it's actually the women's locker room. That's the common fantasy. Uh, and hopefully there would be women in the locker room. <laughs> um, Kevin goes in and he is so excited. Um, and Jim kind of reneged and ended up saying, yeah, it's actually pretty cool in here. Because <laughs> they have like a couch and some potpourri and it's all pink. And um, which just like for all the male listeners, not generally a thing. I mean, sometimes a thing, but they're not that different from what i've understood the women's restroom is not a magical disneyland it's just a restroom (laughs) right uh jim has a couple of nice moments in this episode as well 
Uh, I like at the beginning when Dwight runs off to try and catch this flasher and Jim says, okay, I'll call the real police. (laughs) And then uh, there's another moment when Dwight is announcing the formation of his anti-flashing task force. And Jim says, is that going to interfere with your other task forces, implying that he has multiple of them? And Dwight says, no, because this one is being given priority one, which we have no context for what priority one is versus any other priority number. Uh, But Jim makes this sort of impressed whistle at the camera. (laughs) Like, wow. Oh, wow. Priority one. How about that? (laughs) I think the last uh, big one I wanted to mention was this talking head with Michael. Um, He's talking about how most men are such cavemen they're they're so obvious all they want to see is is women in skimpy outfits and high heels you know the works and michael says you know i'm i'm different i think a woman looks best when she is absolutely naked (laughs) well yes michael that's yes most men think that too you're not special (laughs) yeah that's michael for you um (laughs) Meredith, the scene with her scraping her way into a parking space, only then to realize <laughs> that she doesn't fit after she scraped her way in, always makes me chuckle. Uh, and then Creed has the very nice quote that uh, makes everybody else leave the women's restroom while the women are gone. He says, I'm a pretty normal guy. I don't believe you. I do one weird thing. <laughs> <laughs> I like to go in the women's room for number two. He says, I pay for that privilege. Uh, so as he walks in and he's surprised everybody else is there, they're like, okay, Creed's here now. Let's, let's get out of here because he's got like some sort of Walkman, uh, loud headphones. He's shouting at the camera during his talking head, talking about how he likes to use the women's restroom for number two. Um, I, I just laugh that he says he's a pretty normal guy because nothing we have seen from Creed up to this point would imply that he is normal in any consideration of the word. And I don't think you're exaggerating. I do not believe that there is one line that Creed has said that is normal. I think until this point, it has been weirdness out of his mouth every single time he speaks. <laughs> the, the one instance in Creed's defense I can think of is when they're in the conference room for, uh, goodness, what is it? It's when they're reading out of the, out of the, out of the suggestion box. And they say something about implying uh information and creed speaks up and says no boss they were Im- or you were implying everybody else was oh, inferring yeah. or something like that which <laughs> is actually weird. right yeah it, it's it's weird that he's correcting grammar but it's still a pretty normal thing to say so i will put that up in That's creed's fair. defense but That's recently fair. we saw him uh frame a person to get fired and steal the gift card money that he was going to give her so uh there's not a whole lot that can that be just, said in creed's defense it just negates <laughs> that grammar one right back out <laughs> Uh, now, what about deleted scenes? When Phyllis tells the office that she got flashed, um, Kelly hears this and she screams violently and runs over to Ryan <laughs> and starts hugging on him. And Stanley just says, OK, you need to stop that right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's not just, putting up with it. No, she just totally. I mean, yeah, it's really awful that that happened but like screaming you're not in immediate danger you don't need to run for cover it's okay (laughs) Uh, andy reveals that he's trying to win over dwight's trust and we don't know whether that's for malicious intent or just as sort of an office ally uh for now i'd like to think that it's for uh, uh, an office ally an office friendship so 
uh, it's nice to see by the end of this episode, he's at least partially uh, there. He's partially won over Dwight's trust. While the women and Michael are heading to Meredith's van to head to the mall, Dwight escorts them. The only way I could think of is like they were in combat or like they were, I don't know, very, very wanted suspects or something. Like they were just, he was having them like duck and cover and he like shoved them into the van and closed the door. It was very combative. I don't know. It was crazy. He was, uh, I guess that was sweet. I guess he was trying to make sure that they all got in safely, but it was weird and creepy too. <laughs> yeah, I think both Michael and Dwight in this episode had good intentions. They are well-intentioned people in this situation. They just don't know how to behave themselves around women or to treat women with equality and respect. Uh, and that, that's where they fall short here. Um, Michael's not the worst because he's not trying. It's just because he doesn't know better. Right. Um, speaking of Michael being the worst, <laughs> there's a deleted scene in Victoria's Secret where Michael walks up to Pam with his very scanty piece of lingerie and is trying to convince Pam to uh, pick this one out because he's offered to buy them one piece of underwear or whatever. And it's, like I said, very scanty, uh, completely see-through. And he, here he is offering this to Pam and it is just so uncomfortable. Uh, and icky <laughs> i can't think of a better word icky just seems so <laughs> appropriate and he even manages to insult her in the process um because it's got like a stomach cover thing i mean it's see-through but it's like a mm -hmm. like, it's a like a veil small kind of dress yeah over the stomach and he goes yeah you can wear this you know show off the twins and and, and hide the stomach hide any imperfections there like yeah. come on <laughs> <laughs> She just walks off. <laughs> she doesn't yeah. even entertain the she notion. She turns around. <laughs> um, there's also an alternate take of Jim finding the poster of Dwight on the refrigerator in the uh, kitchen. And I'm really glad that we got the one that ended up in the episode. Yes. Because the difference is his level of enthusiasm. And in the episode, it's very enthusiastic. He says, now that is cool. Like, he, he's really proud. He, he knows it was Pam, obviously. Who else drew that? It was Pam, and he thinks, oh, man, she did something really cool. And he's excited about it. Whereas in the deleted scene version, the alternate take, it's very much just like, oh, well, that's cool. And then he walks off. And it's so nonchalant. And so I'm really glad that we got the version that we did in the episode uh, because it, it strengthens that relationship. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. Um, they say something in the commentary about how, I think it was Jenna said this, how she was kind of flirting with... Jim yeah. through that drawing because you know they're the pranksters they pranked Dwight and even though Jim wasn't in on it that this was her kind of flirting with him through a prank um and that was definitely picked up on in the cut we got of the episode but in the deleted scene it was like oh that's cool <laughs> it's like, well, yeah no that, I totally agree that it should have been way more enthusiastic mm -hmm. and speaking of Pam flirting with Jim through that drawing he finishes the prank by leading Dwight into the the women's bathroom and uh, discovering that the poster was a picture of him with the, the mustache drawn in the mirror. Uh, it's a great little reveal. <laughs> Any other deleted scenes you wanted to mention? Yeah, um, just one alternate version of Michael's concluding talking head. He says that he and Jan broke up because because she didn't like one voicemail that he left her. 
Well, yeah, that's true, but you broke up with her through that voicemail. Right. And then that's that is her paragovative. And yeah. yep. um that he <laughs> thought he didn't understand women, but really it's maybe that women just don't understand themselves. Uh, um or maybe Michael you just don't understand women is probably yeah. what it is. <laughs> Yeah, and it, it should be mentioned that that final talking head he does have in the actual episode where he says, uh, how, Michael, how can you appreciate women so much but also dump one of them? You mean, how can I be so illogical and flighty and unpredictable and emotional and other female stereotypes? Well, maybe I I learned something from women after all. It's just he he still hasn't really learned a whole lot. Uh, yeah. He's going to be happier moving forward, thankfully for him. But uh, he he still doesn't understand women. No, he does not. But uh, <laughs> did I he think more... anything else? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I had one more Michael moment to mention as well before we move on to talking commentary a little bit more specifically. Um, when they are arriving back from the mall, Michael looks out the window and sees one of those posters of Dwight. Uh, drawn by Pam and he just shakes his head at the camera and calls him an idiot I, I just think it's so perfect that that's Michael's response he looks out ah, idiot <laughs> and that's it <laughs> uh, as we mentioned several times there was a commentary in this episode uh, you want to get us started with that one sure um, they pointed out I, I love things like this that John Krasinski broke character as Michael was saying the line about knowing what was coming out of his mouth was wrong Towards the beginning, uh, you can see Jim hiding or John hiding his mouth behind his hand at his desk while Michael is talking. Uh, and you, you just see the smile in his eyes. I, I really like stuff like that. When uh, like there was the the cold open where he popped the exercise ball out from Dwight. And that was the one take where he accidentally hit a seam and it immediately fell out from under them under him. So he jumped out of the camera so he could break character without ruining the shot. Uh, I, I love stuff like that. It's so funny. I do too. I love kind of the behind the scenes stuff. I think watching the commentary is always my favorite part about having the DVD. Um, Speaking of cold opens, this cold open was actually not intended for this episode, but for business school. The original opening for this episode was the one where Jim dresses like Dwight and Dwight dresses like Jim, but that one was too long and they didn't have time to include it. Yeah, especially because they had to have the ending tag of it as well. So that, that would add even more time. Right. Angela Kinsey mentioned that she has had people ask her to sign American Girl doll catalogs in the past. Uh, which, it, it's funny, but Angela really kind of annoys me in this episode. I, I hadn't mentioned just because she's always talking about how small she is and how she sometimes shops at the American doll, uh, American girl store so she can get a large colonial doll and use that outfit for her clothes. And she's just so petite and she's so tiny and still use, uh, wears a kid size 10. And I mean, I get it, but it, it's just such a, a frivolous side thing. And it, it just kind of bugs me a little bit, but uh, it's funny that people take that to heart and get her to sign American girl doll catalogs. She also reveals uh, Angela Kinsey, no, wait. Yeah, sorry. Angela mm-hmm. Kinsey, who is the actor for Angela Martin, uh, reveals that she was looking at a message board, which she admits she should not have been doing. Um, and someone <laughs> wrote, she's so short, it's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but speaking of Angela, 
she mentioned that her grandmother does not like the show, and she watched this episode until they started talking about penises, so about 10 <laughs> seconds in, and then she tuned right out. <laughs> yeah, they, they said uh, that this episode wasn't particularly popular with the 16 up crowd. <laughs> no wonder. <laughs> um one more for me when michael tosses his jacket during the flat tire scene uh you don't see where he tosses it it's just sort of off camera and i had actually thought while watching before watching the commentary that he was just randomly tossing it on like the side of the road which is i was like why 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 not just toss it inside the van you're right there uh but according to jenna i believe uh every time he tossed it it without fail hit phyllis in the face so uh, that's a, a fun little thing to imagine happening off camera is Michael's jacket flying into Phyllis's face. I did have a few more. Uh, we wanted to talk about Michael and Jan's safe word, foliage, which was originally a placeholder word. They just kind of put that in the script until they come up with something better, but they forgot or decided that was as good as it was going to get. But I think it's hilarious. I think it's a perfect, hilarious word. Um, just well i would imagine it's not a word that would pop up while having sex very often so in that not. sense <laughs> in that sense it, it it is a good safe word because it's unique enough that it would right. stand out <laughs> i just think it's so funny like man what a way to kill the mood foliage like what an awful word <laughs> um and then i think maybe the last one for me um when Meredith is dumping the chips in her mouth while she's driving, Jenna was laughing so hard that they had to um, split screen or like CGI a new reaction on her face from a different take, um, which is incredible <laughs> to me. I had no idea that they did that. Uh, it doesn't look like it at all to me. But yeah, apparently they couldn't get one take where Jenna was not laughing um, with Meredith dumping the chips in her mouth, so they had to fake it. I have to go back to that scene in particular and see if I could notice it because in this next episode we're about to talk about there was some noticeable CGI at a couple of moments. Yes. Um but even then it wasn't bad CGI and so I'd be interested to see if I could point out if I could <laughs> sorry cat just jumped up somewhere he was supposed <laughs> to and fell. Um but it would be interesting to me to see if I can spot that now that I know it's there. Sort of like John Krasinski's wig. Our hairpiece, which right. I still didn't think to look for, so uh, <laughs> confirmed, I don't notice those kind of things. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chad, you have our discussion topic for women's appreciation. What do you have? Uh, just a short discussion question. So, why do you think that the women of uh, the office decided to help Michael out with his relationship with Jan after the way he'd been treating them the whole first half of this episode? Uh, he'd been very derogatory. He'd been very misogynistic slash sexist. Yes, Michael, those are the same. Um, <laughs> one of them is not a compliment. What do you think spurred them to help him out? I don't quite know how to describe it, but I think it's just almost pity. Um, I mean, they work with this guy every day. I'm I'm trying to think of, you know... In my life, if there was someone that I worked with that I really couldn't stand, but they were in an awful situation like that, yeah, I mean, you gotta help him out. Um, you don't want to see anybody suffer, and he's really in something very unhealthy, and he breaks down in tears in the cafeteria, mm -hmm. and, I mean, he's, for being such a 
you know, slam your palm on your forehead kind of guy. He's not a bad guy. And they know that. Everyone in the office knows that. They know he's got, you know, a good heart. He's doing it for the right reasons. He's just, he doesn't have a filter and he's an idiot sometimes. But they don't (laughs) want to see him hurt, I guess. Yeah, I think you touched on both of my points. One, the relationship he has with Jan is not like he's, they're going through a rough patch. Like Karen sort of briefly tries to insinuate, this is bad. Like, I don't know anybody Granted, I don't talk with people's sex lives, talk about people, or talk with people about their sex lives very often, or or ever, honestly. Um, But I would be concerned if there was forcing the man into a dress and uh, recording the sex and then showing it to a therapist and watching it together. Uh, All those things are just like, no-nos. Like, don't do those things. And so... With the extremity of his unhappiness, I think, is one of the reasons why they helped. And just like what you said, he he is a good guy. And I said this earlier as well. He's well-intentioned. He just doesn't know how to act on them properly. He doesn't know the social norms. He doesn't know exactly what is expected of him as a man when talking to a woman. And not in the stereotypical way, but in the equality, there really shouldn't be any sort of difference kind of way. What an appropriate episode for this week look at us chad yeah how about that (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well let's go ahead and go on to our next episode which is beach games beach games aired on may 10th 2007 was directed by harold ramus and written by jennifer salata and greg daniels michael has been asked by dunder mifflin cfo david wallace to interview for a new job opening up at corporate bringing with him his recommendation for who will take over the branch in his stead. To help him to decide on a successor, he decides to bring everyone to the beach to compete against each other for Michael's job of regional manager of Dunder Mifflin Scranton. A nice short and sweet summary, because that's really what happens. Like, that's it. (laughs) And we'll talk about the details as we go along. Yeah, big episode. Um... We were just chatting about this before we hit play, hit hit record, but um, it's such a big episode that a lot of people bring to mind when they think of big, dramatic office episodes. And a lot does happen, but it's kind of one of those episodes you have to watch um, to really get. Like, what, what we're going to say is not the whole of the episode, so if you are listening along, do go go watch it, because... It's really just better watched. Yeah, I mean, most of the the filler parts of the episode are exactly that filler, where there's the framework. Michael is going about finding a successor. And instead of going about it in a reasonable way, like by the fact that he already has a legitimate number two in the office, so why not go with Jim as his successor? Um but instead, he decides to make a game show out of it. He says, I'm a fan of The Apprentice, so I made it like Survivor or something to that effect. Doesn't make sense. And none of the tasks he has set up for them, carrying an egg with a spoon, blindfolded, wrestling in sumo suits, hot dog eating contest, none of that is relevant to managing a branch aside from his metaphors about being hungry and being uh, diligent and guiding people and these weird kind of distant relations. But other than that, they they don't make sense. They, they, there's nothing about what he's doing 
that would prove that one of these people is better at managing an office or office or would be better at managing an office at all. Yeah. And, and this whole day he's trying to get people to care about these beach games without telling them the real reason for the beach games. Um, he's trying to just get them to really focus and take it seriously. But for all they know until well into the episode, it's just a day at the beach. They're just playing, you know, bonding team building games um, when really it's an interview for Michael's job, essentially. And when that finally comes out, all of a sudden everyone's taking it very seriously. Yeah, it, it is funny the switch that they have at the hot dog eating contest when he announces that whoever wins today gets my job. And even Stanley starts going to town on those hot dogs. And uh, it, it, it's an immediate switch. It's interesting when they first start out, once they arrive at the beach, that he offers sort of his own analysis on each of his candidates and he's chosen the men from sales. So Jim is good looking and smart like he is uh, apparently, but he's not a hard worker. Now, parts of that I think are true. I do think that we have seen Jim not be the hardest of workers, but it's an example of Michael not fully understanding his employees because the example he gives is that a task that would take him, Michael and all day, all day to complete it would only take Jim half an hour. And that is not an example of Jim being not a hard worker. That is an example of Michael being partially incompetent some of the time. (laughs) Um, uh, But then he says, Dwight is passionate about the job. That's great. But he's also an idiot. No, that's not far off. Uh, Although I wouldn't call Dwight an idiot. He's just strange. Um, Stanley is in the running purely because he's black. So once again, not really paying attention to the capabilities of his workers and considering this and Andy is classy and he gets him and he trusts him, but cons, he doesn't trust him. So all of these candidates that he's weighing up, all these reasons for pros and cons that he's giving, they just are they're surface level. And again, these, these tasks that he set them out on aren't going to delve any deeper into the capabilities of these workers. It's also telling that Michael assumes immediately that he's going to get this job at corporate. He's already telling people that he's probably going to get it. And he really doesn't need to be telling his subordinates anything about this until all the T's are crossed, I's are dotted, paperwork is signed. I mean, this doesn't need to get out until it's a done deal. He needs to pick his number two or pick his successor and then go on and get the job. But I mean, he, he doesn't need to let them know. And, um, he does, however, seem desperate to fill his spot with someone worthy. Um, I think that probably stems from, I mean, his fierce love of the company. He's incredibly loyal to the company, I think, and um, really, really wants to fill that spot with somebody who will do it justice. Yeah, he he definitely should have been a lot more discreet. He should not have put all of his eggs in one basket, burned his bridges. I think both of those phrases could apply here because he's already trying to move on to the next thing before it's a thing. He hasn't even auditioned, or there we are, performers. He hasn't even (laughs) interviewed for this position. He is just assuming, based on his experience, and yes, he's been around Dunder Mifflin for a while, and by paper-wise, he probably is qualified, but Anybody who's been around Michael for any period of time, which David Wallace at this point really has not had a whole lot of Michael face-to-face time, um, 
but it it's interesting that Michael is so uh, certain that he's going to get this job. And we see that both Karen and Jim are going for it. And like I said earlier, Jim's currently Michael's number two at Dunder Mifflin Scranton and Karen has been successful. And uh, there was even a deleted scene where Jim was given a call by David Wallace himself. Uh, it, it was not necessarily Jim reaching out. It was uh, confirming that he wanted the interview because David Wallace had already offered it to him. And Michael sort of instigated it by going about selecting a successor in such an inept way. Uh, so yeah, Michael's all over the place uh, as expected, but it, it, it is a fun episode. Don't get us wrong. I think one last thing I wanted to mention about Michael is that um, when they're standing there with the coal walk, Michael is, you know, this next quote game is who has the guts to replace me. And so he has this coal walk and they're all supposed to do it. And um, Jim makes a good point. Hey, if we're supposed to do it, you should do it first. uh, If we're filling your shoes. And, once again, we see Michael sweat it out. I think the writers really like to put Michael in a scenario where he's about to do something and then not do it. Um, mm-hmm. You just see him leaning over the coal walk like, any minute, I'm going to do it, and he never does. Yeah, instead, uh, we have Dwight stepping out onto the coals, and it's more out of determination and maybe even desperation a little bit than out of bravery. Uh, he He steps out and he literally stands on the coals, which is definitely not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to walk across and be done with it. So you're not sitting and roasting and uh, cooking your foot like Michael did way back when. Uh, (laughs) But he climbs out on the coals and he demands that he be given the job and he starts to fall down and he's like crawling out. And I think it's probably a reference to star Wars revenge of the Sith episode three, where Anakin at the end of the film has uh, had his limbs taken off and uh, has been set aflame and is crawling away from the lava. Uh, I think that's probably the reference there. Uh, And it's appropriate because it's white, but it, it Dwight, is so desperate for Michael's approval and so desperate for promotion within the company. We've seen him go to Jan before to try and get Michael's job because he thought he could do a better job. And so now he's being potentially given that chance and he's going to do what it takes, even if it involves killing or at least third degree burning himself uh, to get there. Shall we move on to Pam or do you want to? Oh, I'm yeah, go ahead and move on to Pam. Okay. So the other big character in this episode is Pam. Um, As we've been saying for the last several episodes, Pam has really wanted to be more honest, be more upfront, more assertive, and she is doing that today. Um, At first, not so much. She was looking forward to beach day, but Michael instructed her to take notes all day about people's characteristics or their undefinable qualities as michael puts it um (laughs) and she's really just in the background she's not getting to participate with her friends um but after the coal walk she sees that no one but dwight does it and dwight was you know really dangerous and they all go off and have their next game and and pam is standing there at the coal walk and something inside of her i mean 
clicks. Something shifts, and she's got to do the cold walk. Um, and she does it. And then after she does that, she comes over to the group and just, it's like a, the walls go down and it's just flood of truth. And she confronts the office and says, none of you came to my art show. That really sucked. I invited all of you. Um, she addresses Jim. She really told him a lot of what she feels about him. She said, I called off my wedding for you. We're not even friends anymore. I miss you. Um, yeah. Big, big, big Pam episode. What I love about Pam walking across the coals is that she does it for herself. Dwight is doing it to get the job. He does it in front of everybody else. He stands in the middle of them, nearly kills himself, and it's all because he wants the job. Pam does it not to show off to anybody. Everybody else has moved on. She's over there by herself and she does it to prove something to herself. She says, I am brave. I can do this. I'm a new me. I, I can, I can put myself out there. Uh, just because I'm a receptionist doesn't mean I need to be sidelined taking notes and taking credit away from me. And so she goes on sort of like an adrenaline high after she has walked across and when she does confront everybody, it's so heartfelt and genuine. And I, I feel her anger when she says, why didn't any of you come to my art show? Or, I mean, Oscar did, but he and Gil criticized her art when he, they did show up. So uh, no help there, really, when she was just wanting some support. And then confronting Jim, this is her finally saying out loud, that the reason she canceled the wedding with Roy is because of him. We knew that. I think Jim knew that. Everybody knew that. But this is the first time I think we've heard her say it out loud. And the specific quote she says uh, that I think is really huge is she says, there were a lot of reasons to call off my wedding, but I didn't care about any of those reasons until I met you. Uh, I just love how bold she is. She's she's on this adrenaline high and when she has the chance to tell everyone how she really feels, she does it and she does it without apologizing. And then she walks off and that's it. That she, she just needed to get stuff off her chest. And I, I applaud her for being so bold to actually do it. So moving on to some funny moments for the episode, um, just especially in light of the last episode, women's appreciation, I thought it was funny slash worth mentioning that Michael says, if I had to pick a new manager uh, based on today, I would go with Mr. Outside Hire. Angela says, or <laughs> Mrs. Outside Hire. And Michael says, yeah, mm-hmm, true. <laughs> like, oh, Michael, no, he's not so going to consider a woman. <laughs> and, he, they, you know, not long ago, just last episode, he just talked about this. Uh, so he's clearly learned. And when they're on the bus... And Michael announces, this is not just going to be a fun day at the beach. This is going to be uh, something else. And Stanley says something. And Michael says, if you don't like it, Stanley, you can go to the back of the bus. Well, let me tell you, dear listener, that there are some problems with telling a black person to go to the back of the bus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Stanley reacts. And I think he says, excuse me. And Michael realizes what he said. 
and corrects himself or tries to correct or amend his words by saying, or the front of the bus or drive the bus. You could do whatever on the bus you want. Just <laughs> <laughs> sorry I said that. Uh, yeah, that was not Michael's finest moment. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think probably the last big one for me was... Michael had asked Pam to take notes and keep score, as we said, uh, but his award system is a little inconsistent. At um, <laughs> He asks Pam who's currently in the lead, and Pam says, I don't know, because at various times you gave Jim 10 points, Dwight a gold star, and Stanley a thumbs up. She says, I don't know how to convert these, and Michael asked her to check if there was a conversion chart in the notebook she was using. <laughs> she says, I really doubt it. Michael says, please just check. <laughs> Yeah, uh, <laughs> not much to be said about that one. Um, I have just a few smaller moments I want to just draw attention to. When they first get to the Lake Scranton, uh, Michael calls it America's eighth largest indigenous body of water. And Jim just quietly shakes his head at the camera. There's no way a place in Scranton, Pennsylvania, has one of the largest bodies of water in the United States. <laughs> um, uh, five of those would be... The Great Lakes, right? So, yeah, not not a good yeah. stat. Um, I love how upset by the name Voldemort Dwight is, uh, both when Jim says it for his team name and then at the end when Michael says it later in the episode and Dwight has this really visceral reaction. Um, I love Creed fishing with his bare hands. Uh, just we get a glimpse of him and all of a sudden he snatches down, pulls out a fish. Okay, that's Creed for you. And then he's upset when he realizes there's hot dogs. He said, oh, I, uh, <laughs> I didn't know there were going to be hot dogs. And we look, and the, the fish is all bones at this point. He ate it raw, I suppose. Uh, and then last couple for me, Stanley charging at Jim in the sumo suit is a highlight. And Jim's uh, very disturbed reaction to Stanley charging at him in the sumo suit. And then Toby, poor Toby, at the start of this episode, uh, gets the short end of the stick yet again. He's very clearly dressed and excited to go to the beach. Michael doesn't want him there, though. And so he says, hey, we need somebody to stay at the office. And congratulations, it's you. Um, so Toby goes up to Pam's desk to give her the sunscreen he brought with him. And she says, oh, thanks. This will be nice. This will be useful because I'm wearing a two-piece swimsuit today. And we know that Toby has had a crush on Pam for a little while now. And he's visibly upset as he walks away at the, the prospect of Pam being in a two-piece swimsuit and him not being there to witness it. We did have some deleted scenes as well. Just a couple from me. Um, Meredith says she needs to use the restroom. They're on the bus on the way to the lake. Uh, she, of course, has been drinking a fair bit. And Michael says, no, 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 we're almost at the lake site. Uh, you can wait. But Meredith yells, definitely, I need to stop. Stop the bus. Uh, so when it does, she runs off to the side of the road. She squats down and pees. The camera cuts away from her. Um, and everyone on the bus is looking the other way. But Creed is looking over and just nodding uh. with approval. <laughs> just watching. <laughs> uh, I thought it was interesting that Phyllis has a list of men that Bob would forgive her, Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration, if she hooked up with that, those men. And Jim is on that list. Jim Halpert, our very own Jim Halpert, is on this list of people that Phyllis would have permission to do should the opportunity arise, along with George Clooney and Leo DiCaprio 
and apparently some British guy who got in trouble with a prostitute. I don't know what the reference there is. This was 2007. Uh, but yeah, I just, okay. Phyllis has a little bit of a kinky side. I think we see pop up every once in a while. And this is one of those instances where, uh, She's very obviously happily married to Bob Vance of Vance Refrigeration. And uh, still, she has this list of potential lovers <laughs> outside of Bob. Which how flattered Jim must be alongside oh, yeah, George sure. and Leo. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's among good company for sure. I think probably my favorite deleted scene um <clears throat> the line that made it into the episode, dip it in the water so it slides down your gullet more easily. There was a deleted (laughs) scene where after that, everyone in unison said, that's what she said. Um, And in the commentary, um, Brian Baumgartner, who plays Kevin, reveals that this was actually an improv by pretty much everyone. They all just said it. (laughs) And then they unfortunately didn't end up using it in the episode. But I always, I kind of want that to be in there instead. (laughs) Yeah, I, I can only imagine being on set for that and everybody laughing for like 10 minutes straight after. Yeah, you can That's do anything else happened. with us today. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's just too magical a moment. Uh, I love the deleted scene with Andy, who has finally escaped, still in his sumo suit from the lake, uh, and is trying to flag down a car. And so you've got this guy in a big sumo suit standing in the middle of the road trying to flag down somebody for a ride. And uh, no, no luck. They swerve around him and he's left alone. Last one for me, um, during the hot dog eating contest, Jim says that he and Karen are also having a, a, an eating competition, but it's tuna <laughs> salad, and there's no designated amount of time. They can eat it as slowly as they like. Um, and Andy says, you know, oh, keep on eating tuna, big tuna. And Jim just looks at the camera and says, he's going to puke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he says, yeah, yeah we're going to be comfortable uh, with the food yeah. that we eat. <laughs> Um, moving on to commentary, I think this is the first commentary to feature Ed Helms, which was fun. They collectively think that this was the third episode that we'd seen Meredith flash herself uh, in the instance where she thinks she has her swimsuit under her shirt, lifts up her shirt only to discover, oops, nope, I put it in my purse. I don't have it on yet. So third Meredith flash so far in the show, at least according to the people on this commentary. Um, Andy Buckley, who plays David Wallace, the CFO, is apparently also a stockbroker for Merrill Lynch. Uh, I looked it up online, so it must be true. Um, But (laughs) yeah, they said that in the commentary and I looked it up and verified. But yeah, he is a stockbroker. So he plays the part with uh, with reality, I guess. I think that's amazing. And like I said, when we first met David Wallace uh, back in season two, I love that character. I'm so excited to get more of him as we continue on in the show because David Wallace is just such a good guy. I like him a lot. And knowing that this guy is not just a full-time actor, but also does uh, financial stuff on the side, uh, that's pretty cool. Um, there were other songs that they sang on the bus. Uh, the, the idea of singing on a bus was Harold Ramis, the director. He said, you know, I've never been on a bus and not had somebody break into song. And so he had everybody sing. And so Brian Baumgartner as Kevin started off singing The Gambler, which we see in the episode. At the end of the episode, we have them singing uh, The Flintstones, complete with Michael Scott, Steve Carell, interjections in the background, almost singing operatically. I love that stuff. Uh, But other songs that were sung on the bus and just didn't make the cut were the Friends theme song, complete with the claps, and Tiny Dancer by Elton John. 
which I think that would have been a lot of fun to see the whole cast performing as well. They describe how Creed caught the the uh, supposedly live fish clear <laughs> out of the water, and I was wondering while I was watching that. Obviously, it's not a you know, it's not what Creed actually did, which is scoop it up. Um, so I was wondering how they rigged it. Apparently, there was a rubber fish in a bucket underwater, um, which I think it was Gene Gene Stepniski that said. Uh, to get a fish that looked that realistic, it cost about $500 to do. I don't yeah. know if that was a uh, an exaggeration, but knowing Hollywood, probably not. Yeah, I, I would assume that he was telling the truth there. I, I made that note as well. $500 rubber fish. That is impressive. <laughs> too much um, money. <laughs> yeah, too much money. Uh, Ed Helms broke a fingernail during the sumo fight. I just thought that was a fun tidbit. Um but then the CGI that I was mentioning earlier, you've got the bonfire that starts before the coals, before sunset. Uh, and when it ignited while watching tonight, I was like, oh, yeah, that's CGI. I got it. I don't know oh, if yeah. I'd ever noticed it before. I don't know if I've ever paid that much attention to it before because uh, it's always just sort of been in the background. But, yeah, it's very obviously CGI. But the coals themselves were not CGI. Uh, they described that it was sort of a light box that was buried under the sand. And then they had the the colored gels that were sitting on top of the light box that simulated the coals themselves. So a little practical movie TV magic with that one. That one was not nearly as obvious to me. I, I could have believed that one because the fire with that one was real. Um, but -hmm. the bonfire, yeah, that was 2007 CGI. And not to mention that, (laughs) uh, the office had basically no CGI budget. So yeah, I was about to say that was 2007 TV budget CGI. (laughs) It's another level down (laughs) because they really don't need CGI. Um, I think this episode and then the one with the bat Mm -hmm. might've been it. Maybe one more I'm forgetting, but they don't use CGI a whole lot because they work in an office. So, uh, yeah. You get what you pay yeah, for. Yeah, if anything, it's probably those smaller shots, like with replacing Pam's face because she couldn't keep right. in character. Uh, those are probably the only instances, if they've done that before in previous episodes or in future episodes, those would really be the only instances where CGI would be needed. So uh, it was cool that we had both an example of the CGI in this episode and the practical effects. I always like some practical stuff. So moving on for the discussion topic for this episode, we touched on it a bit, but we got to talk a little bit more about Pam's big speech. Um, you touched on what I wanted to ask a little bit, but let's let's delve a little bit further into this. Um, do you think it was the coal walk itself that made Pam share her feelings? Was she feeling particularly honest that day? What do you think was going through her head? I think it was a slow boil that probably didn't start with everybody not showing up to her art show, but that was definitely an, an early sort of spark uh, that lead, led to this. Um, and then this whole episode itself where she was uh, set on the sideline, wasn't able to participate in the rest of the festivities like everybody else was. She was made to write notes all day. She was asked to cook 800 hot dogs or at least heat up 800 pre-cooked hot dogs. And then when Michael announced the contest, he took all the credit for heating them up. He says, I have personally heat up these hot dogs so that you may each eat the number that will break the record. So dream big or whatever. And we knew that it was Pam and she makes a face because uh, she's not going to speak up and ruin Michael's moment, I suppose. Uh, But all these things led up to the coal walk and everybody else uh, turns it down. 
except for Dwight. We already talked about him, but he's really not even doing it for the the sake of bravery. He's doing it in the sake of desperation and wanting a job. So Pam, uh, it's a chance to prove herself to herself, whether everybody else believes in her or not. Uh, they seemingly haven't, you know, they, they didn't show up to her art show. They did set her aside. They do ignore her because she's a receptionist receptionist. Um, but now this is a chance for her to say, maybe they don't believe in me, but at least I could prove that I believe in myself. And so she steps across the coals and then she's empowered. And so I don't think it was just the coals. It was the lead up of everything to that. So that's my long answer to your question. <laughs> yeah, you you took the words out of my mouth. I think a lot of it was just the whole day of her literally on the sidelines watching um, and just not being okay with that and kind of getting stepped all over all day. And um, then with the coal walk, something just kind of, like I said, something shifted, a, a gear, you know, shifted. And um, then, of course, with that adrenaline after having done that, she just spilled over and truth came out um but it's about time i think she uh she had been holding that gym stuff in for a long time and i think she'll feel a lot more relieved now that that's not on her shoulders anymore and what's interesting for first time viewers of the show is uh, at this point you are sort of left at a little bit of a cliffhanger where does this go from here pam basically just professed her love to jim uh without saying i love you she says you know i should have been with you uh, and so that was left unresolved at the end of this episode. So you're just going to have to wait and see what happens in the next episode. And we'll be talking about that in our next episode as well. So with that, that is the end of the official 27th episode of An American Workplace. You can contact us on our Facebook page, which many of you have found. But uh, just to say it again, facebook.com slash workplace pod. Also on Twitter, which is actually where we're probably most active uh, between the two of us. That's workplace pod on twitter go to itunes or the apple podcast app on your ios device rate review subscribe if you want to help spread the word uh, and send us up the charts a little bit and then if you have any feedback or ideas you can email us at workplacepod at gmail.com as chad mentioned i'm more active on twitter you can find me on twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white and the best place for me, also on Twitter, at Chadadada, that is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. And then you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And don't forget about my other show, Cinescope, where we talk about the movies we love and why we love them. And also on Cinescope, we just recently re- uh, launched a, a spinoff called Cinescope Today, where we're talking about more uh, recent releases, more current release films than we did before. So uh, that's going to be building on that show and hopefully we'll be continuing to build on this show uh show notes and contact information can be found at workplacepodcast.com and that is all for this week thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows the office here on episode 27 of an american workplace make sure to join us in episode 28 for our discussion on the next and final episode of season three the job bye Yeah, I think that he... I don't know where I'm going with this. Give me a second. Um... (laughs)